Welcome to the global phenomenon, Surviving the Survivor, where we bring you the best guests in all of true crime. What's up, STS Nation, and welcome to another episode of Surviving the Survivor, the podcast that promises to bring you the very best guests in all of true crime. And it feels like we were just together. We were just covering the Michelle Traconis trial together. It just uh, convened, court did. It adjourned, I should say, at uh, 4.45 p.m. Eastern time. And here we are back with a very important um, story. And before I get going, I saw him in the chat. So special shout out to uh, Matt McMahon for helping facilitate this. Um, he is the father of Rachel's um, oldest child, Rachel Morin, and we are going to actually uh, hear from um, we are going to hear from her tonight. Uh, thanks to Tim Papa, one of our guests, um, for the very first time ever, uh, except for the fact that Tim had it on his YouTube channel last night. So almost ever. Um, it's been more than five months. Uh, this murder happened back on August fifth. Uh, I believe August 5th, I have to double check that it's either the fifth or the sixth, but it's been more than five months. Nevertheless, since a Maryland mother of five was murdered, brutally murdered on a hiking trail in Maryland. It is known as the Ma and Pa trail. The Harford County Sheriff, uh, Sheriff Gaylor has come out and said that the death was quote unquote, a violent homicide the family, Rachel has a very big family, an extended family, uh, and they need everyone's help to catch the killer. Uh, this story was making headlines day in, day out back in August. And as, as is often the case, as I can attest to as a former media guy, it starts to go cold. Uh, there's no killer caught. Uh, the days pass. They turn into weeks. The weeks turn into months. And suddenly uh, the media retreats. Um They'll all jump back on it when this killer is caught and that killer will be caught. But for now, it's gotten awfully quiet. So uh, the people that don't get quiet are the trio you see here. These are best guests. Um, Tim Papa, who I'm going to get to in, uh, in a moment, is a first time best guest. Scott Duffy, he's been on this show a million times. He obviously hosts uh, with me and Phil Waters every Friday, and he's going to be back tomorrow. And he's going to talk about Michelle Traconis a little bit. He is in his office. The first time we've seen him in his office, the director of the Wilmington University's Criminal Justice Institute. Uh, he is a retired FBI supervisory special agent, not just a special agent, but a supervisory one out of the Delaware office. Uh, he worked gangs, bank robberies, narcotics, fugitive task force cases for 20 plus years. Scott and I have a fun little game with Phil where I, I send them all the Ferraris I see in Miami, which is like 37 a day. And yesterday Scott said, Hey, how come there's so many Ferraris in Miami? And I said, it's because you didn't catch all the drug dealers in Delaware. So all their money got down here and they are buying Ferraris with them. He was also a Pennsylvania police officer for five and a half years prior to that. Next up, he was accused of wearing a bathrobe, but let me assure you, uh, this is Doug McGregor in a very trendy sweater, and in Canada, they are much more chic than us. I was just in Montreal, froze my ass off, but um, Doug McGregor is in Canada, and they have a lot better style than us, so do not mistake that for a bathrobe. He is better known, Doug McGregor, 
as a geo profiler. He's a former forensic behavioral analyst and a consultant specializing in geo profiling and linkage analysis for violent crime and missing persons. He has a master of science from Missouri State University and lives in Ottawa, Canada with his wife and two children. And last but not least, you have Tim Papa. He is a certified former profiler with the FBI's behavioral analysis uh, unit. One of my favorite guests ever who's uh, began his work in the FBI on July something, 1969, the month that I was born and the year. Uh, that's Greg McCrary. He was also at one point uh, in the BAU. But uh, Tim joined the FBI uh, in late 2008 as a special agent serving nearly 16 years in various investigative roles, including the last nearly half dozen as an FBI profiler. And while at the BAU, uh, Tim pioneered the development of behavioral content creation, supporting state and local cold case investigations across the country. We're going to find out exactly what that means on his YouTube channel. He was the first to have it. He's got video clips of Matt McMahon and Rachel Morin's daughter, uh, and those live on his YouTube channel uh, at Storytellers.Design. That's at Storytellers.Design, a very long intro, I know, which is going to go a second longer uh, to remind you to please support us on Patreon, YouTube. You can give us five stars and listen to us on Spotify, all the audio uh, um, platforms. And there you see it, a QR code. I didn't even call for it. It's up there. My new book is uh, available for pre-order. Um, it's the most important story I've ever told, all kidding aside. It's my mother's uh, Holocaust story as well as life advice from her. And uh, you guys know that she and I are very tight, but I think her advice is pertinent to a lot of uh, people all over the world. So uh, please pre-order and um, you'll see just how crazy a family we have. Uh, so there you go. Um, Tim Papa, since you're a first-time guest here, just sort of fill in the blanks, and we're going to get to Rachel, obviously, but tell us what you pioneered in terms of this content creation idea. Sure. No, thank you, Joel, for having me on the show. Um, using video um, to message certain kind of audiences, and this goes beyond, say, providing like a strategy, right, to a chief of police on maybe how they should do their press conference or what kind of press release language to put out there. This is a little bit different. Um, it's not novel in the sense that um, it hasn't been used already, right, in corporate media in terms of marketing strategies and consumer psychology, but using it to message particular kind of audiences in law enforcement, that's a little bit different, right? So what we're talking about is taking those practices and consumer psychology and any kind of behavioral framework that would apply, right? It might be something like how we consider emotion, how people respond to emotional content. Maybe it comes down to what we know about someone we're trying to reach or communicate to that they're going to be responsive to. There's a design to it. There's a behavioral design to it. And we try to apply all those principles when we craft something. So maybe a good example as a contrast is public information officers want to put out information to raise awareness um, and hope that people come forward with information. This one is uh, behavioral content creation is much more targeted and much more crafted. You don't want people just to think and feel things. You want them to respond behaviorally. And that's not always about coming forward with a tip, right? It might be something like 
um, the relationship between people in this town and a family, a family that's of interest to people that people think might be responsible for a murder, um, maybe presenting that family in a different perspective. Well, the whole thing kind of comes back to what do people consume the most? What do people share the most? What's the best way to reach people? And that's online, on their phones, with short videos that are emotional. So that's behavioral content creation. We try to craft it as much as we can for a particular audience with a particular kind of messenger. Wow. So that's really fascinating to me because I always ask guys like Scott Duffy, I always ask them, how is technology changing you know, crime? Um, and this is helping crime solving using really these new mediums that are becoming the mainstream is the old stream. And now what you're saying is you're creating emotionally responsive videos that you're putting or videos that elicit emotions. You're putting them out on the TikToks and the Instagrams to try to um, see if you can, I don't know, like jigger something loose in terms of uh, a potential lead. Is Am, am I right about that? Yeah, yeah, you are right. Um, I think most of the research out there is focused on broad audiences. Like you can look at research and advertising and marketing, and they're talking about broad segments of audiences or consumers. Um, this is very focused. So if we're in a particular kind of case and we can understand, say, the objectives of a law enforcement agency, but maybe in this case, the objectives of a family, well, we really want to craft what it is you're trying to communicate, who's communicating and to whom. So if it's a situation where we're trying to message specifically the person responsible for a crime, if we know a little bit about their family dynamics, if we know a little bit about their social circle, that could certainly inform the kind of content we create. Should it be in a foreign language? Where should we focus this kind of content? Who should be the person speaking? And where should we film it? I mean, even the aspect of creating the content is behavioral and design. Um, because it does make a difference in terms of where you film that. Of course, aesthetics are important and people want quality content. But at the end of the day, if there's an opportunity to take a moment on film and share one aspect of someone's life so that viewers can connect with that person on film, that's what we're trying to achieve in this respect, right? Because in this particular case with the Morin family, these videos aren't being made with the sheriff's office, it's just being made with the family. So. That's an adjustment, but it's still applying the same kind of principles. When we know as much as we can, then we can really craft that content to try and elicit a behavioral response from the target of that content. And I'm just, people get mad at me, but I'm, I'm taking a note uh, right here. Um, and I'm going to come back to Tim Papa, but that's why I'm on my phone. I'm always taking uh, notes for a follow-up question here. Uh, and I will come circle back, but I want to get the other guys in here. And uh, Doug, just for the record, uh, the woman that scares me the most next to my wife and my mother is Black Widow from the Republic of Ireland. Uh, and she says, that's a jacket, Joel, for F's sakes. For the record, once and for all, Doug McGregor, is that a jacket or some sort of sweater? Let us know. I don't know. I'd call it an overcoat, a sweater. <laughs> Either one works. He doesn't seem to care. <laughs> so Doug, Doug McGregor is just simply known as the geo profiler. Um, now, we just heard about uh, content creation from a behavioral uh, aspect. Explain to the audience again what you do as a geo profiler. Uh, of course. I also look at the behavioral aspect of uh, 
of offenders, victimology, crime scenes. Um, when, when I'm looking at it, I'm focusing specifically on the, the spatial, the temporal, environmental, and the geographic aspects of, of behavior. You know, just as, as people, how we, um, how we interact with our environments, how we move from A to B, um, you know, what, uh, and what we can ascertain from, from analyzing the, the, the different components of the, of the crime scene and, um, the victim, um, who they are, um, how they, you know, how they were victimized and, uh, and, and the offender. So if we have information on the offender, we can, uh, you know, we can use geographic profiling to, in its most classic sense, you know, if there's a serial killer, we can try to figure out where that serial killer uh, lives, works, plays. Um, so those are those are kind of, you know, in a nutshell, the uh, the components of behavior that I look at. And we're going to get into that. Uh, Scott Duffy, we all know Scott, and he's going to be back on the show tomorrow at 5 p.m. Eastern time after the Michelle Traconis trial. And one of the things I'm going to have Phil and Scott do tomorrow that he doesn't even know yet is going to have them watch some of Michelle Traconis's police interrogations and have them break it down because uh, the body has never been found uh, in that case. We're talking about Jennifer Farber Dulos. Uh, her body is somewhere. Uh, but Lorna McKenzie says, Scott Duffy, someone knows where this guy is. Uh, and this is the guy we're talking about. Do you agree oh by the way tim papa is a dreamboat i was waiting to pull that one up i didn't mean to do it right now but uh, we have come full circle because tommy scoville who hosts the lifeboat which is for sobriety he's in the chat love that dude uh he is a guy that um that that scott duffy would have tried to catch he's a former bank robber who served hard time but he has turned his life around and he is a great guy but you tom Tommy and Scott Duffy, ironically, would be great friends. Um, and Tommy likes to scare the crap out of me about state prison and federal prison. Um, by the way, Scott Duffy, do you know that when you take a shower in state prison, you've got to have someone, it's called suited and booted, that's outside the shower protecting you? Do you know this, Scott Duffy? Tommy when you Scoville, say suited Tommy. and booted, do you mean one of their friends or somebody who's... So Tommy Scoville taught this to me, suited and booted. Um, when you shower in state prison, you got to have one of your buddies that's got his boots on, ready to kick the crap out of someone if they try to come to get you in the shower. You you take a shower, suited and booted. You have a friend standing guard. How scary that, is that? That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I don't that, think I ever, I mean, I assume that. I don't think I ever talked to anybody who gave um, me the, the details. Scott's like, Jesus, I got back into the show again. I could have waited another day. But look, here's the video right here. Um, Scott Duffy, are we going to ever catch this guy? This is the perp. Uh, we've seen this video a million times. Uh, this is from Los Angeles in April, um, an alleged uh, home invasion. And uh, you can see the guy, obviously shirtless. People have analyzed it. You can see the brightness of a cell phone in his right pocket walking away some people say it looks like an mma fighter because he appears to have cauliflower cauliflower ears which i can't tell from that perspective but scott duffy the short answer will he be caught yes he will absolutely no doubt in my mind but every day that goes by it's one day too long right for especially for the family but the um it's i i i i will say it is nothing lacking what 
law enforcement's doing. And unfortunately, in our line of work, when you have somebody um, who is dangerous, who the DNA is there, the DNA is in CODIS. So it's, it's just a matter of now putting a name and handcuffs on this guy. But um, sometimes the, uh, it, it takes a while. And I think when we first aired on this, my thought was, unless he repeats, um, that it could take some time and it doesn't, it offers hope to the family that he will absolutely be caught. But, you know, just in Philadelphia, just in within the last 30 days, a, um, a subject was finally nabbed in the act by law enforcement of committing a violent crime on someone. And what did we do? We take DNA and Philadelphia police then matched him for crime and a murder 20 years earlier. So it's my hope is that this will be soon, but um, you know, these, these things can take time until unfortunately this guy has repeated and messes up and is caught or somebody who like one of your viewers said, Hey, somebody knows him and is going to drop the dime on him. So that's, that's what's going to take. And Tim, in your experience, going back to sort of the behavioral aspect of things, and you can see here this $30,000 reward, uh, tips, uh, rmtips at harfordsheriff.org. Uh, the number is 410 for those listening, 836-7788-410-836-7788. Before I, I uh, go to Tim, um, I was going to ask you, Tim, because I'll forget the question, if there's Anyway, this guy wouldn't be a repeat offender. I mean, if you bludgeon a woman to death the way he did, will let's get to the question first. Will he strike again, in your opinion? Is it almost certain that he will strike again? Well, I mean, I think any approach, and I think obviously the other panelists would agree with me. If you're thinking about victimology and the relationship between an offender and a victim, for all we know, he did not know her. It appears he didn't know her. Uh, but in terms of like a random victim that he assaulted, has he probably tried this before? There's probably been some habituation. I think generally we approach any kind of event like this in that way, right? There's probably been some habituation. It's very difficult to kill someone. You have to have a lot of strength to do that and to go through with it. So where he would have done that before, I don't know. But typically if you have someone who probably lives in a particular kind of area, and um, as far as you know, an unknown offender even may have been involved in a sexual assault, well, again, there's probably been some attempt before that failed or some attempt before that wasn't fully reported. So when you look at those kind of cases that are reported where there are unknown individuals that have been accused of sexual assault, but there's not much evidence, it might be that individual. That's typically how I think as a starting point we would approach it. But I think in general, we have to be very careful in terms of if we don't know anything about that particular offender, we can't really surmise more than that other than maybe what we've seen statistically over time. Uh, but that's what I'm really appealing to or pointing to that statistically over time and in other cases, there's some kind of habituation process um, to commit an act like that. Yes, it's in a park um, and it was during dusk, but that's still out in the public and it's still someone presumably he didn't know. So again, it's someone who might have some experience trying to do that before. Uh, other than that, I don't know what else might be motivating him. 
Uh, Joey B here. Look at this. My father graduated from the FBI Academy in 1969. That's Greg McCrary territory. I hope I wonder if it's Greg McCrary. I'm amazed how much we have progressed in tracking down offenders. Uh, God bless you all. Uh, again, there is the. Uh, um, oh, that is in Espanol. I was wondering. It took me a second. So um, they believe that at least in, in Los Angeles, this person could have been um, roaming around the. Uh, you know, Hispanic Latino community. And so they delivered flyers uh, in Spanish, and that is the Spanish version as well. The COE fluent in Espanol, uh, although her grandfather, may he rest in peace, his name was Papaya. That was his nickname, like the fruit. He always told me that uh, the COE barely spoke any Spanish, but who knows? Um, I just want to, uh, again, reiterate this. So these three guys that you're looking at right now in in their own capacity, on their own time, um, who are no longer with the FBI and uh, and Doug wasn't with the FBI, but, you know, Doug has a full time business, but in their own capacity um, have worked to try to get answers on this case. And uh, you don't see that very much in most professions, but these guys do this job because they care. So I just want everyone to know that and kudos uh, to them for doing this um, basically on their own dime, on their own time. Um, I think all three of them, uh, if I'm correct, traveled to Maryland. Is that is that right? All three of you, Tim? Yes. Doug, you went down there. You drove from Canada, right, Doug? Um, and Scott and Scott Duffy, you went there. Um, it's crazy. So I don't often ask this. And as a matter of fact, I almost never ask this. But this particular show to try to help Rachel's family, please share this show. Please tag it on Instagram, tag it on Twitter, uh, on Facebook. Put this show everywhere so we can try to find this guy. Please, please not not for um these guys, but for for Rachel Morn's family, but these guys are are doing all their own, you know, all their own work to try to help get them. Doug McGregor, tell me about that drive down to Maryland, all the way from I think you're in Ottawa, uh, just west of Montreal. There, what w- what were you hoping to see and discover? And then we'll get to the video, and then we'll discuss the video. Sure. Uh, oh, you know, to start off, it was a uh, it was a nice drive down. It was about a nine hour drive for me, um, a drive I'm used to. I, I, uh, I went to Missouri State University, but my department was in Fairfax, Virginia, and, uh, and I interned in Washington, D.C. So it was, a, it was the same route all the way down. Um, I, I knew, the, I knew the, the area, the geography. Um, it's a very nice area, and I've never been to Bel Air before. But uh, driving into Bel Air, it, you know, it's a beautiful area. It's uh, it's quiet. It's quaint. Um, it's not a large town. Uh, it's got a, a a bustling commercial uh, area at its center, but uh, but the you know the population's modest. Um, it was a nice day. Uh, I was uh, fortunate enough to meet uh, Matt McMahon, who I think is in the chat here. Uh, he's the he's the father of Rachel's oldest child, who's uh, um, who's 18 years old, and uh, as well as Michael uh, Michael Morin, and uh, who's Rachel's brother, and Shannon, his his wife. Uh, so the four of us, we I met Matt at the at the Target, um, and then we drove over and we met Michael and uh, and Shannon at the at the 
parking lot for the trail at the trailhead. Um, you know, it, it, it was my kind of, it was my objective to kind of be there around the same time that, that Rachel was attacked. Obviously, you know, she was attacked in August and, uh, and I was there in, on November 11th, actually. Um, so, you know, the, the seasons have changed and the vegetation was a bit different, but I got a sense for the trail and, um, and mainly a sense for, you know, how well the trail was being used, how populated it was, what, what sorts of people were using the trail, um, you know, what the environment around it's like. And, and, you know, this is a populated area as, uh, as Scott and Tim can attest to as well. Uh, it was a busy, a busy trail. Um, there was always people in sight. I think I was on the trail around 5 PM. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and like I said, in one of the threads I put out on X that I stood at the, at the bend where Rachel was attacked and I stood there for a good 15 minutes. Um, and in either direction, there was never a moment when there wasn't somebody coming from either direction. Uh, you know, you can see a hundred yards in either direction at that point on the trail. Um, it's a, it's, it's well used, lots of solo runners, uh, couples, um, people biking, going for walks, uh, mainly adults. I didn't see any kids there on the Saturday when I was there. Uh, so it's mainly used by adults. Um, and I think the whole trail system is about seven kilometers long, which it shows on, uh, if you go to all trails, the app or, uh, one of those, uh, one of those kind of apps, but the, the main area or the main part that's used is, is quite a bit, about half that distance. Um, and you know, Rachel, she started her run. We were lucky enough in that when we got there, um, I can't remember what alias I used for him on, uh, on my Twitter, on my thread, my X thread, sorry. Uh, so we'll just say that we, we were lucky enough to meet a man at the trailhead when we started walking the trail there on the Saturday. And it wasn't planned. We had no idea we were going to run into him. We ran into him and his wife. Um, and he was actually there the day that Rachel was murdered and he saw Rachel start her run, which was, uh, which was invaluable to, to us and to, uh, and myself in, in, in creating that timeline. Um, you know, so she started her run at six, about six fifty nine PM. And he had that timestamp because he had that on his, uh, I'm not sure if it was an Apple watch or what it was. Uh, so, you know, she started her run right at seven o'clock and it was, it was daylight. Um, and you know, I, sometime between seven and seven thirty, that's when she was attacked. She was murdered. It all took you know, place fairly quickly. It all happened very quickly. Uh, but it was, you know, I do most of my work from behind a computer. Um, but any chance I get, I try to get the boots on the ground because, you know, meeting, meeting the family members, visiting the site, there's just, there's so much more information that you can gather there. So it was, uh, it was a, it was an excellent experience in going down for the sake of advancing this investigation. And, you know, I can't thank Scott and Tim enough for also, you know, offering their assistance to the family. And Scott's been there since day one, offering uh, his assistance to myself if I ever need it. So it's uh, it's been great. And the family's been great to work with. 
Uh, Scott, I'm coming to you. You're covered up, but I want to get to this comment. Get your reaction, Scott Duffy. This is frightening from Lori. I'm always in the park by myself, as a lot of women are. This is really disturbing and so sad. Minding her own business, and this freak kills her. Uh, it appears it was completely random, and that is what happened. Jason Lipoff uh, went to dental school with Charlie Adelson. He's in the chat here tonight. Shout out to Jason. Um, Scott Duffy, first of all, just a quick couple of words to uh, both the women predominantly and the men. Um, if you're going out for a run in a park, especially this time of year when it gets dark out late, what is your advice and what did you take away from your visit uh, to Bel Air, Maryland, to the Mon Pod Trail? Um, so first, I just want to say thanks to Douglas and Tim. I mean, they really went out of their way uh, to connect with the family and they have an expertise and they're offering that expertise. So that's, that's pretty cool, which all connected through the show. And for me, I, I, I felt a connection, right? We, we go through a lot of crimes that take place throughout the country every week, right, Joel? And, mm -hmm. and we tried to give the public a general sense of what we might do or what, what our first thought would be once we arrive on scene, if we were uh, the lead investigator, just, you know, going on our past experiences. So I really felt some sort of special connection. And, and of course, being in my prior ter territory as an agent, um, I wanted to go down there and meet with them very upfront with them. There's nothing that I can offer uh, other than my thoughts and and I was very honest with them and and they and uh, they were very gracious with their time and in that walking the trail you get a really good sense as opposed to when I first heard it having never been to that trail but having been through that town the um, it really it's it's an eye-opener of just just how um how public it is in the sense of businesses and residences. And then my thought was to offer to them, hey, you must continue to bang down the door of law enforcement, right? Police departments sometimes have a tendency to, to get wrapped into their investigation, uh, and especially in something that is so eye-catching to the world as such as this one and for a department that's very much equipped and from what i gather doing due diligence uh some sometimes and and especially in my experience and and i'll as well as in some of my cases you have a tendency to get so wrapped into trying to find the perpetrator the bad guy and you sometimes forget um, just just a a message to the victim is important, um, and sometimes uh, that gets lost in translation. And and a victim can, uh, family can have a sense of being forgotten when when they're not forgotten. And that's why I tell them I said just continue, continue, continue in your in your uh, pursuits of getting information, knowing that they can't 
receive all the information. And so I was just kind of helping them uh, to be a go-between of, hey, this is how you can word a, a, a request or something. Um, so not to look like you're just being nosy, but that you are absolutely have a stake in, in, in the hunt. And so that my thought was to give them uh, a human connection to law enforcement and to, to help them phrase questions or whatnot. Um, and then for example, I, as we walked the trail, uh, pointing out the different ring cameras or surveillance cameras. And, um, and of course, the type of family that they want to jump right on it. And, and then of course, my job is to caution them to say, hey, that's, you can point these, these things out and then give it to law enforcement to say, hey, I saw a camera, this address, did you happen to go there, right? And you're just trying to help be, be an extra eyes and ears. And so that's, that was my, my wish to go down there and and um and not to interfere but to help them maybe see some things uh that could be missed or whatnot i think you're muted joel scott always catches me doing that uh, just to recap here, Summer Lover, uh, what is the Los Angeles connection? Rachel Morin was a 37-year-old mother of five. Again, obviously, we talked about it. She was out for a hike or a run on the Mon Pa Trail. Uh, she goes missing. Uh, they find her the next morning. She is murdered. Uh, their initial reports are it was a brutal murder, uh, perhaps done with a rock. They obviously got some sort of DNA. That DNA matched in the federal database system, which is called CODIS, C-O-D-I-S. And it matched to a case from Los Angeles, um, which was first reported as some sort of sexual assault on a minor. I think they may have walked part of that back, but they knew that whoever committed this crime committed the same crime in Los Angeles in April but they didn't get a name. And so that's sort of where we are right now. Uh, Tim Papa, I was going to come back to you. Um, do police get upset with your tactics? Um, obviously, you work for the BAU, but right now, if you go out and share this video, is that something that's going to tick off, let's say, the um, Harford County Sheriff's Office that uh, video is being circulated of Rachel's daughter. What, what's the kind of reaction you well, get from that? I mean, I would imagine no. I, I that's something I try to be mindful about. Um, a lot of my prior experience on cold cases where I would make content, typically much of my experience was with that state and local partner, not so much the family. And sometimes there'd be people in a family who are persons of interest, but obviously I'm not approaching them that way. I always have a secondary role, right? I'm not the lead detective or anything like that. I'm just supporting. I mean, BAU's role is to support state and local partners. So we're not running their case, but always trying to be mindful. Even if people say something on camera, do I want to put that out there because someone will consider it slanderous? Or do I want to put that out there because uh, the, the offender might see that and want to physically harm that person? So when I'm filming someone, I'm probably recording them for like 45 minutes. But I'm going to make a 90 second to two minute video. Um, the the advantage of working with law enforcement, of course, is that you can 
um, coordinate some of that. And there's more information, right, about focusing on crafting a message. In this case, I'm just working with the family. So much of those narratives and themes are meant to share this family with the public. So they're not just another cold case. There are people that are experiencing loss and pain that we can't really understand, even if we've been through some things like that or similar things to their own story. And people can just get lost, right, in the sea of cases like that. Um, I think in a lot of these things, too, there's a lot of space even outside of the content that's made, because certainly there are cases I supported where we made videos, but we didn't use them because we didn't think after a certain point of time that it fit for the case anymore. But all these things come into play as an example. And this is just my opinion because I don't have other information, but I look at, say, even that flyer in Los Angeles. And to me, I see that even if it's in Spanish language, is there are barriers there. There are barriers if I'm living in that community to come forward with any information because I see a tip line for a law enforcement agency in Maryland, and I don't know who they are, and there's no reason for me to trust them. And then I see a law firm, and I don't know who they are, and there's no reason for me to trust them. So for someone who actually probably knows this guy, to essentially betray that relationship for money to come forward and contact someone they don't know, generally speaking, I would say that's probably unlikely. Um, But that's why trying to understand your audience and who is asking is so important. If I was going to redo that, I would say probably a local law enforcement agency in that neighborhood, in that city, should be the one that's asking for information. And those agencies have relationships with people in the community. And those police officers have knowledge that is not written down in reports about people in that those neighborhoods who've committed certain types of assaults, but it never got written up. All those things that fall through the cracks, that's the knowledge and information you want. They're the kind of people that really add to our behavioral analysis when I was working at BAU. We depend heavily on it. When uh, state and local agencies would ask us, what is it that you need from us when we're starting a consult or a behavioral analysis project? Yes, we want everything you have and we want the case file. But we also would say, what's on the cutting room floor? What didn't get rid up, written up in that interview? Uh, what other interactions did you have with them? Because people are just like walking inductors of emotion and information. And those kind of engagements tell us a whole lot about those people. And that's often not recorded. So those are examples how it can be a very comprehensive and dynamic process trying to craft communications and messaging that's very effective. And there you're seeing the, I'll take this comment down in a sec, but I wanted to get to it. Um, Doug McGregor, someone had a really interesting question um, and, and it had to do with, you know, do you, do you look at everything, including like regional accents and things of that nature in your geo profiling quest? You can uh, answer that. But also this question again from Tommy Scoville, who'd be friends with Scott Duffy and all you guys, uh, how can they tell the perp didn't know the victim? Do we know uh, for sure, uh, it is assumed that that is the case. But um, what are you hearing on that end? And the accent question. Yeah, I've been watching the chat here, and there's so many questions that that I would love to answer. Uh, there's a lot of great questions here uh, from some people that know the case really well, and 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 others that know it less so. But the uh, just starting with the the accent question, you know, absolutely. Um, it, it, 
that being said, there's hundreds, probably thousands of, you know, regional local accents across just the United States alone. Um, you know, they change from city to city, uh, from town to town, actually. Within a couple of miles, you can change accent. The accent can, uh, can change slightly, um, as well as words used, just everything about linguistics there. Um, when, when I'm trying to, you know, figure out a piece of information like an accent, uh, I consult an expert. I, you know, I'm, I'm an expert. I consider myself, you know, an expert professional in, in, in my field. But, uh, but there's, you know, by no means am I an expert on, on accents or linguistics. Um, I've taken forensic linguistics courses, but it's, uh, it's fun doing this, uh, doing this job because I get to consult all those other experts. Um, you know, a case I just worked, I had to consult a bear expert to, to figure out what a bear would do if it found a human body. So it's just, you're constantly consulting others, which is fantastic. And, uh, you know, to use that, to use that information. Um, Doug, how do you find a bear expert? You just Google, how do you know how to find these experts? Yeah. X, you know, well, Google or, or an X. And I just type in bear expert and, you know, <laughs> it came up. Someone was a black bear biologist. It was, it was perfect. Um, but going back to that question, you know, how did, there's some information I can give out here, some I can't, but going back to that question, how do we know that Rachel did or did not know this perp? There's some information, um, obviously that police keep to themselves, that law enforcement keep to themselves. Uh, I have an open communication with, with the family. Uh, that being said, you know, they have an open communication with, with, uh, you know, Hartford County Sheriff's office and, you know, there's some information they withhold from the family. And then there's some information they give to the family, the family withholds from me. So it's just, you know, you work with what you got. Um, but from what I understand, we do not know the source of the DNA on Rachel at this point. So at this point, am I 95% sure that the person we see in the video in LA is, is, is the offender, is the killer? Yes. However, that being said, we, I don't know personally i'm just speaking as myself and being objectively what the source of the dna is um and i'll give you an example if it's a if it's if the source of dna is non-violent let's just say and you know no disrespect to rachel whatsoever if it's semen i can't tell you that that's from that instance or that was from you know having consensual sex within the last three days right i don't know that the police know that so the police law enforcement who have that information, they have to make a judgment call. Does this DNA point towards this person being the offender? And then they release that to the public. And then I work off that. So they have done that. And I am working off that, which is why I believe, you know, again, probably about 95% that this is our offender. Um, looking at some of these other questions here, th this offender is, is tough to find because one, they're, they've committed only two crimes at opposite ends of the country, and their vic the victimology is completely different. On one end of the country, you have a youth, um, a female youth, and on the other end, you have a 37-year-old woman, uh, as well as one's a home invasion. There's there's some gray area there um, because of uh, you know what went on in that house that night, and at the other end, it's an attack in a public place in a park. So this person is very hard to find because they could be in Bel Air, they could be in Los Angeles, they could be anywhere in between. Um, now, I do have reason to believe that this person 
has been in Bel Air for some time, uh, that they were possibly even spotted within uh, around the Monpa Trail two weeks prior to the attack and possibly as far back as April of 2023. So the, the this if that is the offender, then this person definitely has some kind of some sort of anchor point in Bel Air, which is important because other people may have seen him within the last year. Uh, anyway, there's there's many other questions here, but I don't want to that I'd love to answer, but I don't want to take well, up all the time. So no, that's Scott or Tim. Well, that's super fascinating to me. Um, talking to these three guys right now because this is an unsolved case, and uh, I've told Scott this before, but you can see the wheels, the investigative wheels in their heads spinning in real time and and the stuff that doug was just saying about uh being a tough offender to catch because on the one on the uh west coast you know it was a young victim on the on the east coast it was an older victim as far as we know he hasn't offended um anyone else but that could definitely not be the case he could have and we just don't know it yet uh maxi doodle here please help me understand the man at the california house is a suspect he's leaving that house why can't law enforcement and the law require the residents of that address to supply a name because he was uh assaulting someone in that house so there's a very good chance they did not know who he was now there are some people out there we don't know who think that someone in that house may have known who he is but um but uh, so far, obviously, no connection like that has been made. I'm going to get back to Scott on the investigation very quickly, Doug, back to you. And then I want to show this video. It's important um, from Armad. I am not T-Pain. Do any of you, Doug McGregor, think he's across the border by now? Uh, because he appears to be a Hispanic male, a lot of people think that he has fled to Mexico. Uh, what kind of percentage would you put that at, Doug? Uh from you know the information that I have that I can divulge, it's he, there's he's Hispanic. He's an Hispanic male. Um, I there's a he if he has family. Let's just put it this way: if he has family south of the U.S. border, of course, there's always a possibility that he could have left the U.S. to any number of countries. Uh, in saying that, I will also say that he. He is a very fluent in English. And that's important because he's not someone that's just come across the border, knows no English, hasn't been in the United States for very long. He knows English. He speaks English well. So he is from the United He is from or has been in the United States for a very long time. Doug, let me and ask I, you a question right there as a reporter, and you probably can't answer it, but how do we know this if we don't know who he is? Uh this information has come from, you know, talking to witnesses. Okay. Talking to witnesses. And, you know, I, I get the question all the time. And, you know, I don't have all this information because I don't have this from law enforcement. But uh, I do know that law enforcement has done their best efforts and continue to speak with the witnesses, the people that were in that house. Uh, how that is going, I do not know, and how much they have divulged, I do not know. Um, and uh, another question was, is there a sketch yet? And as far as I know, there, well, obviously there's not because it hasn't been made public. There is not enough information to put out a reliable sketch. But I do know that he speaks English very well. There you go. And that's the question right there, which I was going to come to Scott Duffy on. Um, 
it appears that whoever was in that L.A. house would have gotten a good enough look. So, Scott, why no sketch? And what do you think? Two questions. Why no sketch? And what is the Hartford County Sheriff's Office doing today, uh, five plus months later? So the latter part of that question, I couldn't answer because um, I just I just don't know what what they are doing um, or what uh, where they are at their investigation. For the sake of the sketch, um, I can only speak of when when we would utilize a sketch and when do you um, when do you market that sketch, put it out there for public consumption. So the. Um, with regards, you know, obviously they felt very comfortable in putting out from what we gather a ring doorbell that captures his backside and and his walking. Um, so th there's enough that you want to put that in, right? It's it's a camera, it's surveillance, and thereby you're not utilizing what's what's in somebody's head, um, and and then hope that you you create a, the best sketch. So if there's a sketch out there and they're not publicizing it, there's there are probably good reasons for it. It could be that uh, that that they're not very that the victims or witnesses, whoever has provided info on the sketch, are very sure of themselves. And so thereby you could have two different types of sketches that are that are possibly showing vastly two different types of individual. And so thereby you're going to confuse the public and and so forth. It also can hurt your your investigation on the latter part when the subject is is arrested and and the sketch is vastly different. So um, so those could be some of the things as to why the sketch, if there is one, it's not been put out yet. And Scott, here's a question for you from uh, Beaker Canner. Question for Scott. That's why it's for you. Uh, should they retest the DNA in case they made a mistake in the lab? You know, I, I don't know enough to say. Um, well, all I can say is in my 22 years at the FBI and utilizing DNA, in other words, me as an investigator, um, relying upon a very good crime scene investigator to now submit that evidence to always our, our lab. Um, and I've utilized outside private labs that I rely upon their expertise. And, um, and when they know something, I accept it that that's, I just believe the integrity, um, for example, CODIS. CODIS is extremely has had just lots of protocols in place, and and I have had DNA evidence that I wanted submitted to to CODIS, and they wouldn't accept it because of their very strict um, protocols that are in place, which which really shows just how how much of a of an integrity they have to protect uh, the samples they have, right? across the board and and so when i heard and i'm accepting that it is in codas that uh then thereby the two different parties one in california and one in maryland that that the that the evidence is is pretty good and so thereby you wouldn't retest you wouldn't 
you you would accept it for what it is and and of course like douglas earlier what what are the sources of of that dna um you know there's some some speculation out there but only law enforcement on both sides of the coast know and so thereby at least from my dealings i would say that that um that it's that that it's very high standard and so thereby i i i feel very comfortable that the dna samples they have are 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 from one and the same person and um and have been able to be submitted to codis and to meet their high threshold so i i i wouldn't say re retesting anything is not going to do anything uh someone pointed out the two stories we've done today michelle uh Conus, who's accused of helping kill Jennifer Farber Dulos. Jennifer Farber Dulos was the mother of five children, no longer with us, declared dead by a judge. Her body never found. Her estranged husband committed suicide because he was facing life in prison if his trial didn't go the way he wanted it to. Uh, so five kids um, losing their mother and father in that case. And in this case, five children missing their mother forever uh 37 as sharon curlin points out in the chat that's 10 kids in just two cases who lost uh, a mother and in one case uh, five of them a mother and a father again please share this not for these guys necessarily who are doing amazing work but for rachel Morn's family uh please do that rassler's mom with an interesting comment and this is the way investigators have to think. What if he's a police officer and the family in California is afraid to come forward until that's eliminated? Uh, I've learned from guys like Scott Duffy that that is um, a possibility. Uh, what is this? New to the case, Rachel Morin was violently attacked and killed on a running trail in Bel Air, Maryland. Uh, the suspect was caught on video in L.A., and he is being linked to Rachel via DNA, but no one can ID him. The COE putting that down in two lines. Very impressive. So now uh, we're going to watch video shot by Tim Papa of uh, Matt McMahon and Rachel Morin's uh, oldest child. This is Rachel's oldest child. Uh, Tim, can you just set this up for us before we watch it? It's a rainy day. The vid the audio is a little tough because the rain is pounding down. But what are we going to watch here? Oh, we um we ended up going to the site of Rachel Morin's home uh, before she was killed. Uh, a few months after the home was demolished, um, she was a renter, so she wasn't the owner of the home, and the owner demolished it for various reasons, but. Um, I don't think the family knew that, that that had happened. So, um, Faye's one of Faye's younger sisters had seen it one day and that's kind of how they found out. So it's, it's not where Rachel is buried, of course, but it's still another site of mourning or grieving. Um, and so the idea is to, if you, when obviously it's uncomfortable enough for someone to be on camera, um, but to bring them to a place where they can start thinking about these things and remembering these things, that's an ideal place to have a conversation like this. So that's where Faye is. And it's the first time that Faye's on camera. And it was a, it took quite a bit of time for Faye to feel comfortable, understandably, to go on camera. And a lot of this is because she believes her mother would do that. So she wants to do anything she can to support her mother. So that's where she's standing. And we just wanted to capture some things that Faye's feeling and thinking about while she's there. 
And uh, just very quickly, did you? Why is the home no longer there? I think uh, that was a question. Um, my understanding is that the home was uh, in some state of disrepair, so I think that was part of it. Um, and if you go to that location, it's very close to other commercial areas, so I don't know if it's a zoning thing. But that's just what I heard from the family. Okay. But it wasn't a situation where it was too difficult to be in that home or anything, and they and they they raised it and took it down no, because I don't believe so. Okay. So everyone, this is Faye, I guess McMahon is probably what she goes by, Matt McMahon's daughter. Let's watch this. It's not long at all, and then we'll probably watch it a second time, uh, and we'll get Tim's reaction to what we see, as well as uh, the geo profiler, Doug McGregor and Scott Duffy. This, um, except for last night on Tim Papa's YouTube channel, the first time we are hearing and seeing uh, Rachel Morin's daughter, Faye. Kudos to her. It takes a lot of courage to do this, to speak out. So here we go. Can you tell us a little bit about um, where we are right now? Um, this is where my mom's house used to be. That's now gone. I just think about going upstairs in my mom's room and laying down with her. because he just took them away one day. And there's just a lot of things that we talked about that we should have been able to do together that is just gone. And Uh, we're going to watch that again. I had to do everything in my power to prevent myself from crying right there. Being the father of three um, started to bite on my lip, which seemed to help. Uh, Tim Papa, um, you know, as a as a news guy and a guy that kind of pays attention to video because that was the business I was in and still am in. You can't help but notice different camera shots. You go from wide to medium to tight. There's music. Uh, I assume this is all deliberate. Can you? Um, explain that, and then we'll get to some of the content of uh, of the video itself. Sure. I mean, um, you don't you don't even have to look at research on how people respond to emotional content. You can think about movies you like or shows you've watched, how it moves you. I mean, no medium moves you quicker and more fully than imagery and sound with the right kind of music. And so, putting that music to timing it in terms of when you started to hear a change in tone. Uh, people can feel that in their body sometimes, right? And that is also deliberate, but um, not to manipulate anything. When I'm editing this content, 
I'm also trying to feel as well because I'm watching it. I want to keep the pacing without music, but there's a particular piece of music that I feel like matches it. Um, having the the ambient sounds like the rain, yeah, it's maybe a little less clear than people would like, but those kind of shots um, don't feel controlled. And when people are watching and experiencing content online, um, they're always kind of evaluating how authentic they feel about what they're seeing. And when you see a shot like that, it's filmed that way and edited that way. Uh, it is real. It is genuine. And people, I think, feel that way. And even probably the final part, um, looking, uh, kind of panning to the left where the house was. Yes, I'm also visually creating a space of emptiness. And we don't know everything that she's feeling, but I want people to see that or having a moment where you see her up close um, and it's in slow motion. Slow motion takes time out of the equation and people know this is just a little bit more important and um, there's a chance just to see Faye for a moment. So there's a lot of qualities of a person and wherever they are in their life that I'm trying to bring to the picture in two minutes. Because again, people are consuming all kinds of content all day. And so any chance we have to just bring people to where she is, even hearing those sounds, it's a little gritty and it's dark. It's darker and maybe people feel like they're kind of there for a moment. And just to give people some context, because that's kind of my world uh, in news, an average story, which we call a package in news, runs a minute and 30 seconds. Um, I was talking to guys who are experts at TikTok. And they are now putting 10 edits into a second of video in some cases, which is just mind blowing. So the the rate at which things are changing and the attention span, uh, when I heard you just say, Tim, that two minutes, that's that's an eternity now, isn't it? <laughs> sure, sure. But if people are interested in that kind of content, they'll keep watching. Um, I think the the other part of it, too, and you think about like behavioral design and people can get really lost in the scholarship and research on this, but something like narrative persuasion, that's providing content or a story that's entertaining the people. Um, and I don't mean that in a disrespectful way because this is obviously a very heavy and serious topic. What I mean is for people who haven't had a family member that was taken in the way that Rachel was, there are other ways you can connect with who you're watching. And for them, everyone's been 18 years old before and had all these plans and been hopeful about things in their life. So that's how you connect with people. And um, this kind of comes down to, it's not really about marketing, but it's about providing a thin slice, they'll call it, of this moment in this person's life. Is it hoped as well that there are people who know this offender who see this and think about some of their own things in their life? Yeah, that is hopeful, but this isn't targeted enough for that. This is very much focused on trying to bring attention to their family and uh, this case. And uh, by the way, this comment uh, resonates with me. I can still hear her voice and feel her pain in my heart. Um, I'm a very visual person. Uh, it's, it's why I'm horrible at languages. I don't listen well. I, I'm not. I'm terrible with music. I don't. But if I see a face, I'll I'll never forget it. Um, and so seeing this, it's very powerful. Tim, you know. I'm a little slow on the uptake, so sometimes I have to ask questions twice. But what do what do you do and what could we as the public do with this video? Is it something that you would share with me and then I could tweet it out on my uh, Twitter handle and everyone at STS could then tweet it out themselves and do that on Instagram? Is that the is that the goal of this? 
Yeah, no, that's always the goal. It, there's uh, as much as I can, I want to craft content to reach the right kind of audience. But in this, in this example, the audience is very vast. So there are people who are interested in this and there's people out there that actually have information. So sharing it as expansively as possible, that would be the most helpful for sure. Well, well if you uh, tag me uh, on Twitter at podcast SES and I'll shoot you a text um, and make sure I get your cell phone, which I think I have, but, or uh, on Instagram at surviving survivor, I will certainly put this all up. Uh, Matt McMahon is still in the chat here. Uh, orange was Rachel's favorite color, and that's why he's got that orange heart up. But uh, I've talked to Matt McMahon. I've talked to a bunch of uh, the Morins, Nate Morin, at Shannon on, uh, Michael. They're having a hard time. Uh, they're having a really hard time. This is one of these shows where um, it's really all about the family. We got to help them collectively, collectively. And there are people watching this show, I'm proud to say now, all over the place. Um weird I, i'm getting messages from people in my hometown i went to the dog uh to waggle brothers uh that's where ethel goes to school and uh the one of the people who works there her aunt is a big uh watcher of the show and she's in minnesota I'm not saying this to brag i promise you that what i'm saying is uh it's kind of far reaching right now um, I joke that it's a global show, but it does reach um, a, a lot of different people. So let's do our best to please share this. Um, you'll never talk. Carm's going to yell at me, but I, I sincerely mean that um, it will reach uh, a lot of people. So please let's share. Let's watch this video one more time. Very powerful. And then we'll get both Doug and Scott's take on it. And then soon after that, a couple more questions and we'll start to wrap up. But let's watch this one more time here. Can you tell us a little bit about um, where we are right now? Um, this is where my mom's house used to be. That's now gone. I just think about going upstairs in my mom's room and laying down with her. because he just took them away one day. And there's just a lot of things that we talked about that we should have been able to do together that is just gone. And
Uh, Doug McGregor, uh, she talks about how, you know, Rachel's not going to be able to go to her wedding and uh, she wasn't married, so she wouldn't be able to go to her own mother's wedding. Uh, what does this video do uh, to you and for you? I think it's I think it's a great video. I watched the other three as well. Uh, this is my first time seeing the one with Faye. Um, you know, it, it evokes a lot of emotion. Um, and I think, I mean, there's what, one thing that I don't think anybody here in the chat room or any of, or any of us understand or know at this point is that we're all here actually because of Faye. So Faye and you know, a, a stroke of, you know, twisted luck, I guess may have it. She turned 18 just a few weeks before Rachel was murdered. So after Rachel was murdered and, you know, I don't want to point fingers and, you know, the, the whole family's been doing their thing and, you know, dealing with it uh, the best they can. Um, but after Rachel was murdered, the information wasn't coming to Faye. It was going to somebody else in the family as the next of kin. And Faye, after a little while, you know, got up the courage and she stepped up and, you know, she's 18. And we all know what it was like to be 18 going against adults, our, you know, elders, people older than us. It's not easy. And she stepped up and she took that role, her rightful role as next of kin because she was 18. And because she did that, the information is coming in and it's being used. It wasn't being used before. It wasn't coming in. I wouldn't even be here. I wouldn't even be helping the family, um, Matt and Michael, if that information wasn't coming in. So the information is coming in and it's being used in a positive way to, to find Rachel's killer and, you know, and, and protect the greater public. But it's just, it's important to know that Faye is the reason that we are all here and that and that we're doing what we're doing. That's amazing. And by the way, what's also amazing uh, for those who do not know is Doug McGregor, uh, when he works with families like this, he does a pro bono. He does not charge them. Uh, this is his business otherwise when he's hired professionally. But um, he hasn't asked for a cent from the Morins or the McMahon. So uh, there are still good people in the world because everyone's asking what's going on with the world, but uh, still good people. I don't want to crush everyone, but I want Scott to have it fresh in his mind. So let's watch this one last time. It's an amazing video. And if I if I already said this, forgive me, but Tim was telling me he was the videographer, right, Tim, for the uh, BAU. So you have a lot of experience with this. Uh, yeah, that, it's kind of impromptu. <laughs> um, there is opportunity to do that. And um, I guess the short history is back in 2020, um, it was a crimes against children cold case. And another profiler I worked with, we talked about it and they were open to the idea of me doing this. And we went down to the cold case unit and said, don't do a press conference. Don't put out a press release. Let's try the video thing first, just for a week. Uh, before our investigative team went out there and we made four videos we put them out uh, it was on a static facebook page and in a week they had something like forty thousand views and eight thousand engagements and by the time those investigators went into those neighborhoods everyone had seen the video and it was such a great demonstration to us of it's not all about tips coming in but this medium reaches people and from there it kind of turned into this uh 
you know, um, thing that we could provide sometimes on cold cases. And that's kind of how it developed. Um, do we know where all the children are? Uh, they're with family members. Thankfully, it's a large family, so I think they're doing well. Uh, as a side note, Scott Duffy would always tell the FBI videographer uh, when he was doing a drug bust to only get him from the left side because that is his stronger profile. He would, And if he would ever get it from the right side, Scott Duffy would reprimand him and at one point would even take them down and attempt to handcuff. That's just a side note, though. Here we go. Um, video one last time. Scott Duffy, I want to get your take on this. I have to hit play. Can you tell us a little bit about um, where we are right now? Um, this is where my mom's house used to be. That's now gone. I just think about going upstairs in my mom's room and laying down with her. with that wide shot in the space uh i'm going to pull up this comment from matt mcmahon that we're going to hear from scott on this tim popper released additional youtube shorts of faye just a few hours ago on his channel his channel is at storytellers dot design at storytellers dot design and tim do you have uh, an instagram and a twitter account where you release these videos as well uh no i don't have instagram i just started doing a twitter today i mean it it's something that i've been building up on the side is something whenever I can do it. But um, yeah, I kind of started on the YouTube page. So I'll probably move to those platforms eventually. But right now, I don't have them yet. Well, I, I highly recommend them. I'm the guy that knows the least about technology. But obviously, TikTok, too, okay. those are places where things get shared, um, you know, in a viral fashion. So that would be good. Scott Duffy, uh, you watched that video. Your thoughts? Mm. Um, this, this, this is why you have Tim and doug and other people who they they heard through whether it be through your show or somebody else throughout the country right and 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 uh um i i remember so so my my thought in wanting to meet with the family try to offer them whatever 
I could as an investigator. I also felt like I became somewhat of a protector. And I remember Matt calling saying, hey, this Tim Papa guy. And I'm like, whoa, let's see who this guy is. And, um, you know, because uh, being in the bureau, I'm like, I, 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 we can quickly find out. And uh, just a, a, a minute into the conversation, as Matt pulled us all together in a, a phone conversation, you can hear his voice. And I was like, I, I confess anything in the world to Tim. Um, and so, <laughs> yes, I jest a little bit, but look at their real personal, professional merging of, of their crafts and being able to make it palatable to anybody across the board who who might hear this and see this and um all out of generosity of their hearts to offer to a family they did not know just you know whatever um prior to hearing about it and and how they reached out and and uh traveled a distance so that it's an it's an amazing thing, and that's what I love about experts like this. But also, you know, being from the bureau, how the bureau can pull together so many talents across the board and leave nothing, uh, no stone unturned. And and just like um, Tim had said, oh, you know, kind of became a videographer by mistake, and and that's what the bureau does. It says, who who wants to raise their hand? Who wants to take? Who wants to dive into the deep end on this? And um, and then all of a sudden you realize, wow, I really, I really enjoyed that. And the, and then they, the bureau is like, throws things at you. It's like, well, here's money, here's funding, here's resources, and just the ability to pull together so many different talents. That's what I think uh, is an amazing thing. And and to see the raw footage and it it is real and. Um, and Tim's right. There's no exploitation. It is simply allowing the eyes of the camera to tell the story um, of real victims' families, and that's that. To me, that's just that. That's very telling. And um, not only uh, people sharing that, but somebody, somebody's going to see it. Somebody is is going to listen and keep watching it. That knows something, and. Uh, and it's going to pull at their heartstrings, and that's 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 the hope of all of these these different avenues of things to help law enforcement push this to where this guy will be caught. Uh, and it is Tim Papa P A P P A. Uh, just for those uh, who are going to search, um, but uh, his YouTube channel, you see it right there. Storytell at storytellers design at storytellers.design and he's got um some new uh videos up there um tim do you find it's it's funny because in the chat um overwhelmingly everyone loved the video but welcome to my world someone said i don't like the music someone <laughs> else said i don't like her alone um anytime you put yourself or something out there uh aka a book uh people are going to criticize um i'm going to get pummeled when my book comes out i curse too much i curse too little i curse up my mom um uh act like a 13 year old all these things but do you find that um you know do you are you do you do you find that the videos overwhelmingly are 
uh, very much appreciated. And do you also hear some of the criticisms that, that are tossed your way? Uh, no, I don't really hear the criticisms. I mean, good, good. I don't, maybe I don't have enough out there yet. Maybe that'll change, <laughs> but it's okay. I mean, cause I know if you look at how you analyze audiences anyway, there's always going to be segments of people who don't care or they don't respond to it, And that's okay. And a lot of this stuff is going to be crafted for a particular kind of audience. So certainly there's been times in the past where um, I've made videos and cases and yes, I made it in a way where it's like, we definitely, we're just featuring who we see here, but um, we're going to give them a lot of time because we want to potentially cause some contrast within a family where people feel like, no, I want to come forward and I want to be a part of it. And they're seeing someone else and their family getting all this time and attention. So there can be things like that. That's certainly not happening here in this example, but yeah, there's always going to be people have a different opinion and that's okay. Um, you know, I obviously kind of obsess over all those little details, but I also have to remember sometimes when people are watching these things, they're not even catching all those things necessarily, but am I spending an inordinate amount of time on the audio in a particular frame? Yes. Because I think it matters, but maybe it doesn't matter to a lot of people. Um, content can just be content. But yeah, overwhelmingly, it's been positive. Uh, the COE, by the way, I know, um, speaking of video, that it appears like I am looking down. That's because my all my information is right here. It's not because I'm ever ignoring anyone. But the COE and Space Coast on the West Coast are working on some way to get me a monitor over there so it looks like i'm looking at everyone as a uh, minor point but sts chief everything media can be a curse that is certainly true we both know that bug coe but it is a beautiful tool to showcase the power of connection love loss and humanity for Faye, let's keep this story alive please let us do that please share the case info Faye, we are with you yes we are and um let's also do this um, I just subscribed to Tim's channel. Please go to Tim's channel. Get him up to 500 subscribers. Miss Wee Lassie in Scotland. You now have a Scottish subscriber. Let's, um, Meve Moen, Steve Cohen, uh, chief booking producer here. He always says a rising tide, as you know, lifts all ships. So, um, there you go. Uh, let's all help each other. Um, Miranda Lee says, I can't find his channel. Uh, Tim at what is it at it's the at sign at storytellers.design at storytellers.design and it's tim papa p-a-p-p-a-p-a-p-p-a -P -P -A -P -P -A. um scott duffy one last um investigative question for you and then we'll get final thoughts from everybody we'll go around the horn for that um a lot of people are asking about investigative genetic genealogy we saw that with brian koberger we saw that with the golden state killer can we be all but certain um, that they are trying to do that in this case? Yeah, I, I feel comfortable to say that it it is in the works. So you know, like anything else, it it's um, first of all, every tool is a great you know piece of the puzzle. That, but but at the same time, um, it's as good as what's in the database. So. Um, you take it as far as you can take it and, and, and good investigators, um, can run with great leads. And, and so it's, uh, I feel very comfortable to say it's in the works and, um, as well as it should be. 
Look at this. Catherine in Hawaii. I said her last name and got yelled at by the COE for that. Subscribe to Tim's channel. Spoiler alert. Faye has some sweet news, so we can head over there afterwards and see what that is. Um, look at this. It's like, uh, it's like uh, why am I blanking on uh, the big uh, hippie move? Woodstock. I couldn't think of it. STS is a giant love fest, just like Woodstock. Uh, so there's IGG. For those who do not know, now you know, and he'll be back often. Tim Papa, the P-A-P-P-A. -P -P -A. My wife is a huge Biggie Smalls fan, for those who do not know. Uh, and all I know about him is he is the big P-O-P-P-A. But this is the big P-A-P-P-A. -P -P -A. Tim Papa, a certified former profiler with the FBI's Behavioral Analysis Unit, very famous, known as the BAU. Uh, Papa joined the FBI in approximately late 2008 as a special agent, serving nearly 16 years in various investigative roles, including the last nearly half dozen as an FBI profiler. And while at the BAU, uh, Tim pioneered the development of behavioral content creation. That's what we just saw. Behavioral content creation supporting state and local cold case investigations across the country. Tim, what is your typical day like now and your final thoughts on this? I mean, I, I transitioned to the private sector and cyber because that's what I usually did mm. at BAU. Um, the great thing, and it's just really been a blessing as I've transitioned, has been um, having flexibility to work on things like this. And I was also very fortunate and blessed that there are people um, in this audience and in this community that care and advocate for these families. Um, I've started to grow an experience of like what a lot of these families are going through, because a lot of my experience before was with those law enforcement agencies. So they put me in touch with the Morin family and I started it as something like, okay, let me just make a couple of videos, but I still talk to people in this family as well. And I'm like, I feel like I'm in for the long haul, right? It's whatever that role might be. Maybe it's more videos, maybe it's not, but yeah, I care about this family and I, I never would have crossed their path before. So I feel very blessed in that respect. And I'm just going to trust that path forward that, if there's a way I can contribute, then I will. Uh, this is a great question. Um, Scott, I'm going to throw this out to you. As listeners of terrible crimes, how can we as non-experts help with unsolved cases? Is there something the public can do? I'm Absolutely. The public is. Everybody has thoughts, and they might not have gone into law enforcement, but they have fantastic ideas that that a detective or you know an investigator may not have and and especially with um shows like this where there's vast amount of experiences um for people to to uh, offer them up you know it may be something that's already been thought of or it can't be done or whatever but but by all means just it's the, the sharing and um and the questions and so forth that may or may not be able to be answered but but it's um, it's just constant, you know, think of yourself as one cog in the wheel. And if if everybody provides something some somewhere in that vast universe, um, all of a sudden it clicks. Right. It's it, either somebody says, oh, I, I know that guy and I might never have even heard that he had committed a crime or whatever. Um, but but by all means, uh, the you know, I. 
I realized as an investigator, I didn't have, I didn't have all the answers. I relied upon my experts within the field, but also um, outside the field and, and, and to be a good listener. So um, that's, that's how the, many of these people are armchair detectives and they're pretty good at it. So share your ideas and don't Help be humble, away. Scott. You ha- you did have all the answers, Scott, except uh, you got infuriated when they shot the right side of your face instead of the left side because you always <laughs> want to look good. Uh, T-I-M-P-A-P-P-A, no info for the D-E-A, followed by this. Joel's a nerd. Yes, I, that's, about, that's about the most lyrics I know, and that came from I Am Not T-Pain. I had no idea who I Am Not T-Pain was or is. I barely still do. Um, Doug McGregor. He is uh, better known as the geo profiler. He is a forensic behavioral analysis. These are such fascinating careers. Uh, he consults um, in geographic profiling and linkage analysis for violent crime and missing persons. He hails from Ottawa, Canada, which I'm going to get to one day. Uh, everyone says it is beautiful up there. We were just up there with the family in Montreal. And it was a very mild 30 degrees uh, the following week. They got blasted with a snowstorm, but um, that's nothing for Doug McGregor. Doug, um, where do you go from here? This is, for me, this is difficult because I'm a news guy. And we used to have to turn two stories every day. Then I'd go home and another two stories the next day. This is painstaking. Uh, It takes a long time. But, Doug, how often do you work on this? What what can you what can you do next? I, I'm constantly working on this case. Um, obviously, you know it has its uh, highs and lows, and uh, th- there's lows in there too. Because you know I need to I need the next lead to keep going. Um, but in saying that, and going back to the question that was that that Scott answered, you know how can the public help? Uh, I need tons of help. I need, I need tons of help in every case I work because, uh, you know, it's that littlest piece of information that can help. So, you know, I was going to put a, uh, a thread up about Rachel's case this week and I'm still going to post it. I just didn't, I was waiting on some information before I got it out. And in that thread, I'm going to be looking for information and anybody here in the chat room or anybody else in the public, if they have that information, it will help me do what I do. Now in saying that, if it's a reliable piece of information about the case, you should call law enforcement. But if you have something that I'm looking for on the side that it, it isn't directly involved there, then please comment in my, in my X thread, um, my emails in my profile and, and send me that information. Cause it helps me build my profile. And in the end, you know, anything that I find as well goes to the police. But if you have some reliable information, please call law enforcement. Um, this you know, this case, you know, the family is terrific. They've, you know, uh, obviously there's family dynamics in any traumatic event, but, you know, Matt and Michael have come together to help uh, advance this case. Um, you know, the family's lawyer, uh, Randolph Rice, sent 10,000 flyers to the South LA area. Um, I, I consulted with them and they reached out to five, uh, five high schools or five schools in the South LA area as well around that, uh, where that incident occurred. Um, so everybody in their own way is trying to, is trying to move this case forward and, and catch Rachel's killer. Um, and it, it's so important. And I think the one thing you'll notice in this case, and 
if you really think about it, it's pretty crazy, is that there is no victim blaming in this case. You always get trolls in cases. There's no victim blaming in this case. This could have been any one of us. Rachel didn't do anything wrong. She didn't do anything risky. She was jogging in daylight in a populated, well-lit area. You know, th there's there hasn't been victim blaming. Everybody wants to see this killer caught because it could have been any one of us, male, female, it could have been any any one of us. Uh, you know, this person needs to get caught. Um, and just sh it shows how much, like to me personally, uh, you know, in my in my experience on uh, on Twitter or X, the most of my posts I put up, they get under 5,000 impressions. Okay. That's big for me. Huge for me. All right. But the last one I put up before Christmas about Rachel had 80,000, 80,000 impressions. All right. And that, has, that says nothing about me. That's just, that says everything about Rachel and everybody cares about Rachel, her family, and wanting to find justice for her. So it, this case is still very much alive posting those things online. I mean, what Tim's doing is fantastic. Scott being there for both of us. And it, it's keeping Rachel's case alive. And it has to stay alive because this, this, this person has to be caught. It could have been any one of us. Very well said. Um, Matt McMahon back in the chat. This is Faye's father. Um, obviously closely connected with Rachel since uh, Rachel is Faye's mother. The detectives have specifically told me that keeping Rachel's name alive in the media is keeping the tips coming in. So said it before, I will say it again. Um, not for me, not for these three guys, but for Matt McMahon and his family and the Morins. Please share this story uh, You know, on YouTube. I'll put out a link on Twitter and on Instagram. Please share the story. Um, last, but certainly not least, and he'll be back tomorrow, 5 p.m. Eastern time. Scott Duffy is director of Wilmington University's Criminal Justice Institute in his office for the first time. He's in the office one day every three years, and today's that day. So looking good in there. Uh, he was uh, the supervisory special agent at the Wilmington, Delaware uh, office handling violent crimes across uh, the spectrum, gangs, bank robberies, uh, fugitive task force cases, and was five and a half years a uh, police officer in the Commonwealth of PA. Scott Duffy, um, I asked you this at the beginning. I'll ask you at the end in your final thoughts. Are they going to catch this dude? Yes. This guy. Absolutely. They are going to catch him. And, and, and uh, every day that goes by is another day that he could potentially hurt somebody else. So he, um, if, if you know him, just Put a name anonymously somewhere in the tip line. It's well, it's posted, you know, pretty much everywhere. And uh, or call your local police off office, you know, your local department, and say I got a tip, and and it will find its way to Harford County Sheriff's Office. So he will he will absolutely be caught. Glad to hear that. Um, special shout out to Matt McMahon for uh, helping facilitate this and. Uh, all the Morins uh, out there, Nate, Michael, uh, Shan, and the entire family, obviously, Faye as well. Uh, Sweet and Salty says, thank you for sharing these stories with us. Uh, we want to help. Um, hopefully, Tim will tag me today on Twitter at Podcast SDS, and I'll tweet out um, the videos uh, from there. Um, 
So that is that. A quick um, lineup for tomorrow. 9.15, Tim Jansen is going to be with me, and we're going to cover the Courtney Clenny hearing. She's the only fan's uh, murder person. Uh, she's about to stand trial for killing her 27-year-old boyfriend by stabbing him. There's new video out of her abusing him. Uh, at 10 a.m., we're going to pivot and have the trial. Um, Michelle Traconis, the trial will run, and you guys can chat amongst yourselves, and I will bounce in and out. And then at 5 o'clock tomorrow, Phil and Scott Duffy, Phil Waters, America's most respected detective, and Scott Duffy will be here and will pay, play some interrogations, uh, as Phil likes to call it, interviews uh, with Michelle Traconis and Fotis Dulos, the man that unalived himself, uh, as Phil would say, will play some interrogation videos for those guys to break down. The body in that case is still not there, but got to thank these three gentlemen. Um, incredible, you know, law enforcement gets a bad rap sometimes, but this is why it definitely should get a great rap. These guys doing this all of their own volition, traveling even from Canada to help out Canada, our friends to the North. Thank you. Thank you to everybody till tomorrow. Love you, America. Love you, Canada. Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. <laughs> Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks.